Lord, we thank you for this day, and our hearts are heavy today with the loss of so many friends. Linda tried to make a list of everybody that's died in the last 30 days, and it was it was difficult to do. And it's it's really a sad time, especially if those we lost aren't saved. But the joy of knowing that our loved ones are with you sees us through. And we thank you, Father, though no matter what a, how big of a mess we we sometimes make of our lives. At any point, Lord, we can call out to you, recognizing our failures, and call on you for salvation that you will come. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Father, most of us here today have called. We continue to call, recognizing our own sinfulness. Help us, we pray. Comfort those families that have lost loved ones. What a, what a terrible thing it is to lose someone so early. And we just pray a special blessing, you know, on Mary and on Dave and, and on uh, Mark's family and on Jeff's family as they're undergoing this loss and this, this dramatic change in their life. And we just ask a blessing on Linda's family as well, who lost her mother just a few weeks ago. So we do ask, Lord, that you would bless us. We pray you would join us now in this sermon. Help me to speak your words I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to talk to you today about hypocrisy, but I didn't want to skip the last passages of chapter 11, so we're leading in through that. Uh, and the thought that came to me as I was preparing this, let me get my little niece right in the right location here, was Proverbs 16.5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. This came to mind as I thought about these Pharisees who decided they were going to find everything they could find against Jesus and try and trip him up and find a way to kill him. They joined hand in hand, but they, they will not be unpunished. That's the promise. But I also think about people like myself that suffer from depression and Mark, who obviously suffered from depression, and uh, Mary's son, uh, you know, the devil comes along and he says, you're worthless. There's no value in your living. There's no reason to keep going. There's nothing for you to do. You might as well just kill yourself. I, I've never kept track of how many times I've heard that in my head, but I've heard it a lot. And I've heard it a lot even lately. Uh, the devil comes along and says, you're worthless. And, and the solution to that statement, first of all, is to know where it's coming from and to know that this is a malevolent, I'm probably saying that word wrong, being, who truly hates you and wants to see you destroyed. But secondly, to know, in part, he's telling the truth. Uh, we are worthless, we're sinners, we're fallen. And the problem is sometimes we expect too much of ourselves. These Pharisees thought they were fantastic. You know, they thought they were doing great. They didn't even get it. You know, and Jesus said we should agree with our adversary quickly. And one of the things that I've found with depression is when Satan comes along and say, says to me, you're worthless, I said, you're right, I am worthless but I have a God that is worth everything, see? He'll say, you don't deserve to live, and I will say, you're right, I do not deserve to live, but my God saved me to live for eternity. So you can always come back with the fact, but don't try to prove yourself or your worth. You'll, you'll work yourself to death trying to make yourself look better, and you can't do it because we're all fallen. We are all hopeless and helpless without Jesus Christ. And the only hope we have is that Jesus loved us enough to take us to heaven uh, with his blood 
and his forgiveness and not on our own. And that's it's just a joy that's unspeakable that enters our hearts the moment we receive Jesus. I know Mark had that joy. I, I know he was just, I, I know, and I, I couldn't quite hear Barbara at, when she was speaking, but I do know he, he hit some obstacles and things were not turning the way he wanted them to. And I, I tried to encourage him and tell him that these things take a lot of time. It, you know, the family's not going to turn around overnight. They, they, it takes time. I mean, give it five years and let's see what Jesus can do. Give it 10 years. Uh, but uh, he, he, he got into a spiral, I'm assuming, I don't know this, and uh, got depressed. And uh, and in the end, I, I don't know what happened to him, truly, until the uh, autopsy is done. I don't think anyone knows. But uh, Kevin wanted you to know how much they appreciated your love, loving Mark. And Mark was always astonished with the way you cared for him. Anyhow, so we're in, uh, we're in, um, what are we in? We're in Luke chapter 11. And uh, last week we saw that the religious leaders had actually, or were in the process of beginning a smear campaign against Jesus. They had joined hand in hand against the Lord Jesus Christ. Their, their accusation was that his power to cast out demons came from Satan. And, uh, the, the, we know their real intention. John tells us in John chapter 11, he said, then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, what do we do for this man to do us many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Now we know, we know that, uh, their concern was not whether Jesus was the Messiah. Their concern was whether they'd lose their jobs, whether they would lose their position and their power. And that, that was a real motive behind it. And we saw last week how Jesus rebuked these people. He rebuked them publicly. And he said, it's absurd to say that I'm healing by the power of Satan. Why would Satan tear down his own kingdom? Furthermore, Jesus said, your sons cast out demons. If your sons cast out demons in the power of God, then I'm casting out demons in the power of God. But if your sons are casting out in the power of Satan, then I'm casting out in the power of It doesn't make sense. You say your sons are casting out in the power of God. Therefore, I am. And if it is God, if the power that I'm exercising is God, then you should recognize that the kingdom of God has come near you. It hasn't come to you. It has come near you. Now, while this was all going on, there were others in the crowd who wanted a sign from Jesus. I don't know if they ever said it because it says Jesus knowing their thoughts. Now, even though he had just healed somebody, a healing that was spectacular. The guy couldn't speak and he was blind. They didn't believe that type of uh, demonized person could be healed. Jesus healed him anyway. And then they say, after all of that, we want a sign. And you think, well, what, what, what sign? Are, it's like, are you kidding? So first Jesus rebukes the crowd. I'm, I'm sorry, the Pharisees. And then he's going to rebu- rebuke the crowd. And he's going to say, The only sign you're going to get, I'm in Luke now. I know I have Matthew on the board. I'm in Luke. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, Matthew explains it. Jesus, after he said that, he said, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, and it's not a whale, by the way, it's a giant sea monster. In the giant sea monster's belly, the word does not describe a whale. The Greek word does not describe a whale. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I think that the Bible said God prepared a great sea creature. So I don't think you can assume 
but it's a whale just because the only great sea creatures we know are whales. A lot of people will say a whale can't swallow a man. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know what a whale can do, and I, I don't want to find out whether a whale can swallow a man anyway. <laughs> I don't care. I, I do know that Jesus attests to the reality of this miracle, and I know if God wanted to create some type of a fish or sea creature that would swallow Jonah, I know he could do it, so it really doesn't matter to me what you call this thing, you know. But the point was, the sign for Israel was the resurrection. The, the capstone proof of that Jesus was who he said he was is the resurrection. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and he'll be resurrected. That's the point. And then he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in condemnation against this generation because they repented at the preaching of Noah. He goes on and talks about the Queen of Sheba. I'm not going to do that. But when you think about the fact that we have the complete Old and New Testaments available in every home in America today, when you think of that, what do you think Jesus would say to us? Who would rise up and condemn us? You know, I remember Billy Graham used to say that if, if, if God does not punish the United States of America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that, he said that at least 30 years ago, maybe 50 and I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, that's really true. We have been cruising for a bruising from God for a long time. And if you listen to the news, there's every indication that our bruising has already started. You know, we think we're too smart. We think we're too sophisticated, too self-aware to need a savior. We're so enamored with science, we reject the very idea of sin. Any supposed need to repent. We believe in ourselves. We believe in science. We think we can run our own lives and think we don't need Jesus. The, the epitome of, of my uncle saying to me, oh, Bobby, I don't need Jesus. I've lived a good life. And you think the sadness of that statement to realize none of us have lived a good life. You know, I have done so many things wrong and spread it out a little bit. You have done so many things wrong. You don't even remember all the things wrong you've done. But God does. You know, if I were to attempt to stand up here and confess, well, I'd need, I'd, I'd need the Holy Spirit to even give me a chance to start the list of everything I've done wrong. You're the same way. We, don't, we, we, we push that stuff aside and we think, oh, we're all right. We're all right. We're not all right. Too many times we're like the Pharisee. We like to think that our own good works will undo what little bit of bad we've done and we'll be all right. That's what the Pharisee thought, but it doesn't work that way. The Bible is very clear. One sin makes us a sinner. There's no way around the fact that the Bible declares the soul that sinneth it shall die. Our works can't save us because we're hopelessly mired in sin. And unless the Holy Spirit breaks into our lives and changes us, we have no hope at all. Now, in the midst of this rebuke, rebuking the people and rebuking the Pharisees, something that I just don't understand I really wish instead of a certain Pharisee, Luke would have given us a name because I'd like to know who that guy was. You know, in the middle of all of that, this Pharisee stands up and says, you know, I'd like to have you for breakfast. Now, the word they use there is not the early breakfast and it's not lunch. There's a midday breakfast that comes right after the morning prayers. And that's what he was invited to. So if if you would, it's sort of like brunch, you know. Uh, and when the Pharisees saw it, he marveled. So he goes in, he has, he has, uh, 
He goes in and he has breakfast with them. And it says, the Pharisee marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, I don't think the issue here was that Jesus was eating with dirty hands. I, I think the issue had to do here, at least based on Jesus' response, with Jesus and his disciples' unwillingness to follow what they called the Mishnah, which was the earliest rendition of the, of the oral law that the Jews had. So they had the Ten Commandments, and then they wrote book upon book upon book on how you keep the Ten Commandments. And they actually, they actually wrote so many rules in the Mishnah that they could actually avoid some of the Ten Commandments by obeying the oral law. And Jesus would go out of his way. Well, I don't know if that's fair to say. It would almost appear to me as if Jesus went out of his way to avoid certain rules in the Mishnah in order to aggravate these guys so he could talk to them about the importance of keeping the Ten Commandments versus the oral tradition. And that's really what this is about. And I had a professor one time who I'm incapable of of mimicking, but I would if I could uh, talk about what it was like to clean your hands and how many drips had to come off of each finger and how many times you had to wipe your hand and what you had to do with the plates and what you had to do with the saucers. And and anyway, it was a whole process. Uh, I I imagined that my scrambled eggs would be cold by the time I was ready to eat them. Uh, But uh, that it was a process of cleaning that Jesus didn't follow. I, I don't think he went from cleaning fish to eating without rinsing his hands off. I don't mean that at all. But I think Mark explains a little better. Uh, Mark, again, was probably not there, although he may have been there in a location where Mark could have been there. He was the young one, remember. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? That's what we're calling the Mishnah. But they eat bread with unwashed hands. Jesus' response to him was, now, this is hard to do. Somebody invites you to their house for a meal and they ask you a religious question and you rebuke them. You know, this had to be hard for Jesus. Uh, Probably easier for him because he didn't seem to lose his temper. You know, at the end of this, you're going to see they're baiting him, trying to get him to lose his temper. He, He doesn't seem to lose his temper. I guess he knows what's coming, so he's not afraid and he doesn't. He has complete control over his own emotions. Uh, But woe to you Pharisees, for you love the uttermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. You know, he goes on to say in Luke uh, 44, your Pharisees may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward parts is full of ravening and wickedness. You tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, but you pass over the judgment of God and love. You love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. I'm in Mark now, again, filling in what Luke does not cover. He answered and said to them, well, have Isaiah, so that's Isaiah for us, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, the hypocritites in the Greek was those masks. Sometimes when you get around thespians, I think that's the word, people that love to do plays and stuff, You'll see some masks on either side of the, of the stage. And you'll see three masks or two masks on one side and two on the other. And a couple will be smiling, a couple will be frowning. And back in the, in the ancient days of Greece, they would, there's a little handle at the bottom. And they'd hold that face in front of them. 
And uh, that's the Hippocrates. It's the face you put on in order to play a role, even though you're not in that role. We still use that today with that advertisement for some antidepressant where the woman is holding the smiley face in front of her to say that she's putting on a face that it's a good mood. But I'm a good mood, I'm sorry. But that word, Hippocrates, means a hypocrite. It means they put on a face, you know. As people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship my teaching, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other things such as like. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. And the guy that invited him said, Does anyone want to eat? It's like, whoa, you're ridiculous, you are ridiculous hypocrites. You're hiding your true selves through all these ridiculous rules that you're keeping. You are as graves which appear not, that men may walk over them and are not aware of them. Now, in the Jewish culture, if you walked over a grave, you were defiled. And what it's saying is people who come in contact with you are defiled with your legalism, and they don't even know it. Now, I I don't know if I have it here, but at some point in this discussion, and I've skipped a number of verses in the interest of time, but somewhere in this discussion, Jesus, it says he turned to his disciples. So after the healing, after the rebuke of the... uh, I think we're going to get to that. After the rebuke of the Pharisees, after the rebuke of the people... After the rebuke at breakfast, he's going to turn to his disciples. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, you got to wonder before we move on, though, are there things that we practice that we think are right and true and good, but somehow they're not in the Ten Commandments, and somehow we keep people away from God, or we cause them to stumble in their relationship with God because they can't live up to some supposed standard that we've set you know how how can you not teach your disciples to wash the dishes the way we taught you to I, I don't know Linda's been in a mood she's on her way to Ocean City by the way if you're wondering where she is she's just left me for the boat for the beach uh but uh she, she loves Monk I don't know if any of you ever watched Monk on TV and uh these Pharisees were a lot like Monk if you remember what he was like uh Are there practices that we do today that drive people away from God or even worse, cause them to stumble because they think they're not good enough when no one is good enough? This is the verse, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for years, graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of it. Now, Is there something that we do that causes people to stumble? Now, one of the lawyers in the crowd is offended. Jesus has been hard on the Pharisees, hard on the ordinary person. And then there's this self-righteous lawyer standing there. He goes, well, you know, Lord, uh, this offends me. Meanwhile, the eggs are getting colder. The bacon's getting limp. 
This, this offends me. Master, uh, thus saying, thou reproachest us also? Oh, you want reproach? Well, I'll give you some. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for years, graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. And the, and the lawyer goes, you know, by saying these terrible things, you, you kind of, you're offending me, Lord. And he said, oh, woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. You made these rules, but you know you don't keep them. Woe unto lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. Lord, I hope he doesn't. he's not able to say that about us. I hope everything we do encourages people to come to Christ just as they are and allow the Holy Spirit to clean up their lives in the order that the Holy Spirit wants their lives cleaned up. You know, I, when I was first saved, I had long hair. At this point, I'd be happy with any hair. But back then, I had long hair, and it drove the deacons crazy at that Southern Baptist Church in Greensboro, Maryland. And they couldn't stand my long hair. And I, I had a pastor at that church that was sensitive enough to know that God takes us at different waters and there's other things that we need to work on. You know, and the Holy Spirit will work with you in the order that he wants to work with you, the things that he wants to change about you. And I didn't feel the need to cut my hair and wear a suit to go to a Southern Baptist church in Maryland at that time. May we never be guilty of this crime that says we've taken away the key of knowledge and entered not in our yourselves. And those who were entering, we hindered. May the way of God always be opened. I hope we don't make it harder by our own human rules. The plan of, simple, the plan of salvation is really simple. The only thing you have to do is recognize your own sinfulness, and that's repentance. That's actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us repentance. We often uh, walk down this world in darkness until one day the light comes on and we realize that what we're doing is sin. And that we're destroying ourselves and we're destroying others around us. And some of us are more hard-headed than others. And some of us, well, the Holy Spirit has to take us down a long, hard road to teach us this lesson. But the Holy Spirit will bring us to a point where we see ourselves as sinners. Metanoeo means a change in mind. It's a change in mind. Now, it's often said that the word means a change in mind that leads to a change in action. But the problem with Defining metanoeo as a change of mind that leads to a change of action. The problem with that is we can't change our actions. Only the Holy Spirit can. So the change that comes about in our life is out of hopelessness. We cry out to Jesus and say, I can't change. You know, I don't ever want you to think that in order to repent, you have to change your life. You can't. The only thing you can do is see the need for a change. That's metanoeo, a change of mind. You know, and the change in action is you stop trusting yourself and you call on the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step of salvation is to repent. Without repentance, Jesus said, no one will ever be saved. You can't be saved without repentance because you think you can save yourself. You're back there in the Uncle Paul camp. Oh, I think I've lived a good life. You're back there with the Pharisees and the, law, the lawyers and the scribes. They're trying to do enough good to earn their way to salvation. You're back there with the, the Hindus and the Muslims. And, and all the other isms and wasms that are trying to be good enough to merit heaven, and it's not going to work that way. The other half of that formula, Paul said it, Peter said it, Jesus said it. Repent first, 
and then believe. Peter said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we have this little burp in here that I don't want to spend much time on, but as he said these things, now, this must have been some breakfast. As he said these things, I'm drawing back in the corner looking for a door. Uh, the scribes and Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things. So while he's trying to tell them the truth, they're trying to find a way to get him to trip, to try to trip him up and to say something that would cause him to get in trouble. Laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Now we know Jesus was way too smart for that. He's not going to fall into that trap unless he wanted to, and he didn't want to. Now, verse 1 goes on. In the meantime, at the same time, going on at the same time, there were gathered together innumerable multitude. This is some breakfast party. This has turned into a real hoedown. Gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. They were crowding into the house. They were all around the house, and they were all listening, insomuch as they trod upon one another. And he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples, now they're sitting there at the table, or reclined probably on the floor with a little table in front of them. He turns to his disciples in the midst of all of this, and he says to them, Beware ye of the leaven, or the yeast, if you will, of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, he's warning his disciples not to be like these people. He's warning us not to be like these people. And then he adds this phrase that applies not only to the disciples, but to all of us. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall be not known. You know, I said I couldn't list all my sins. I, I couldn't, but he can. And that's a frightening thought. I don't know if you feel that way about it, but I mean, I can't even remember all the stupid things I've done in my life. But he can. The Holy Spirit, it's all written down in a book, you know. Therefore, Jesus goes on, and you know the crowd got quiet. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. Whoa, everything I've ever said. That which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon housetops. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. The truth is, sin makes hypocrites of all of us. We all fail in ways that make it impossible for us to be totally honest. There's things I think, there's things I've said, there's things I've done that I really wouldn't want you to know. We all have something to hide. The fact is, we're all hypocrites. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, you're a hypocrite, you say, that's right, I am. I am. I don't want everyone to know everything about me. And I thank God that Jesus saved me from my sin. Now, the purpose of hypocrisy is to look good in front of other people. That's why we are the way we are. That's why we lie about who we are. That's why we don't tell people the truth. We don't want people to know the whole truth about us. You know, I mean, I don't normally dress like this. I want you to think well of me. People will look at what I'm wearing now and say, he's a slob. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ought to see the way I really am, you know. We don't want them to know the truth about us. That's why we're hypocrites. So we tell these little lies. We pretend to be something we are not. We put on a face and we play a role. That's hypocrisy. Thus, in relation to what Jesus has just said, 
The realization that every secret we ever hid, every lie we ever told will be exposed is a terrifying reality to every one of us. And there's only one solution to the problem. We can't stand the idea that everything we've ever done will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I think he's talking about the white throne judgment. I really do. Because it says in the lost world stood before, before him and, and the, the saved world stood behind him and the books were open. You know, I think it was the book of law, the book of works, and then the, the, the Lamb's book of life. And then it says whosoever's name was not found in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But I think they're going to go through everything we've ever done if we're lost. We're going to go through everything we've ever done, every law we've ever broken, and every bad work. The book of works can't be a book of good works, can it? You know. Now, there's only one way to get away from this. There's only one way to get our sins covered, and that is to come to Christ, to be forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only way... That you can't learn all that dirt about me is for me to come to Christ and confess them to Him. Confess my sins to Him. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 5, if I come to Jesus Christ, He's the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. We know all that. But He's the one that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. When God the Father looks at you, Having come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And at that point, our sins will be remembered no more. This is the contract, the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and he's done that. I'm riding down the road as a brand new Christian, and all of a sudden I realize that what I've been doing my whole life is wrong. And when you know what's wrong, you know what right is. And God shows us the way to walk. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds and I will write them and, you got to love verse 17, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You know, you'll be standing, the lost world will be standing this huge crowd of people as this judgment's going on. I have no idea how it's going to work. I have no idea how, it's, how, long, how long it's going to take. I've heard other people comment on it. I don't even want to comment on it. If every man that, woman that has ever lived is going to stand judgment, I don't know how that works. But God is not a being of time, and He's not worried about it. Um, and they're going to point over at that crowd of us standing in the back and say, well, what about them? And He'll go, they're covered in the blood of Jesus. I don't remember anything about them. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. What a promise. The psalmist also writes, as far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. This is the promise. The only way to get rid of our past is to come to Christ and get a whole new future. But the lost world will stand before God unforgiven. They will have no covering for their sins. The only basis for their judgment will be their own works. And they haven't got a chance. Neither would we, but the basis of our judgment is not our own works. The basis of our judgment is Jesus who died for us. You've also heard the, the story where when you get to the pearly gates and Peter asks you why you should come in, it does none of that happens. You either die and wake up in hell or you die and you wake up and see Jesus in heaven. It's one or the other. But if Peter asks, why should I let you in? There's only one answer why he should let you in. And that is Jesus died for my sins. It's the only hope we have of heaven. 
from the high and mighty Pharisee, the lawyer, to the common person, without repentance and faith in Jesus, every evil thought and every evil deed would be revealed. So Jesus ends his little breakfast invitation. I wouldn't have the courage to do this. He, he was an incredibly courageous person. You realize he's surrounded by people that hate him. Hate him. And he's able to say these words with such boldness. But I will tell you who you should be afraid of. You know, you're a hypocrite because you're afraid of what people think. If you, if you want to worry about what someone thinks, I'll tell you who to worry about. Fear him which after he kills you has the power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. If you're going to be afraid of anyone, if we're going to be afraid of anyone's face, it ought to be God's face that we're afraid of. We should be so afraid of God that we, that we seek him out and we make our reconciliation with him before we leave this life. That is the only hope that we have. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. And although this has been a sad week, we know there's promises in it. We know there's comfort in Jesus Christ. We know there's hope in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that has not come to Christ, that this would be the moment that they bow their heads and say, I see it now, Lord. I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my life and save me. And I know, Father, just like I experienced myself, that if they pray this prayer in Jesus' name, you will change their life forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.